It's been 33 years since the Americans Disability Act was signed into law by George H.W. Bush. Hi, I'm Andy, and this is Equity. The Americans with Disability Act, also known as ADA, is a federal civil rights law that prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities in everyday activities. The disability rights movement was a driving force behind the ADA being introduced to Congress in 1988 and eventually being signed in 1990. Since then, the act has received multiple amendments to prohibit discrimination in the workplace and public settings, while also expanding coverage for public accommodations for service animals and auxiliary aids. Unfortunately, children with disabilities are the most marginalized with a range of barriers that they have to face in their everyday life. We got to sit down with Susan Sifferman and Melissa Pudgel from Riverside County's California Children's Services, where they speak a little bit about the barriers that children with disabilities face along with their family and their everyday life. Hello, welcome to Equity Podcast, where we spill the tea on equity. My name is Greg, and with me today I have uh, Susie and Melissa. Uh, just uh, before we begin, just a little bit about yourself, and I'll begin with you, Susie. Uh, what is your role uh, in what you do, and and how did you get to this position? I was recently promoted to the chief therapist of the California Children's Services Medical Therapy Program, where we provide medically necessary physical therapy and occupational therapy services um, to children with medically eligible diagnoses. And how about yourself, Melissa? Cool, my name is Melissa Pudgel. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I supervise the social work team at California Children's Services. I've been in this space working with kids and families with disabilities for about 10 years with the CCS program for about half that. I'll begin with our first question, which is, what are some key issues or barriers that children with disabilities face today, even though the ADA, American Disability Act, is in existence? How can we address uh, how can we work towards addressing them? I'll go ahead and start with that one. So families and caregivers of people with disabilities want to participate in as many activities and outings as they possibly can. And at our program, in the medical therapy program, we provide equipment to assist the clients access their home and their community. However, there are still many areas that don't accommodate for adaptive equipment or the client's needs. And so a lot of the families must plan their trip or daily activities um, around what their medical needs are and also to make sure that they can find accessible spaces. It's very common to see handicapped stalls in most, most bathrooms, but what if your child needed to be changed and they no longer were able to fit on an infant changing table? So a lot of the families at this point, they might need to lie their child or their young adult on the floor of a bathroom or maybe even use the back of a vehicle with very little space. And I, and I will say in my own um, time at CCS, there's many families who have let us know that they haven't been able to attend family functions or a lot of community outings that they would like to because of this exact position that they weren't even able to go to family weddings. So one thing that would be helpful is the addition of adult changing tables placed within an enclosed restroom facility or another similar private, um, private facility. Many states around the country have taken steps to address the need for adult changing stations in public spaces and accommodations. And some have even passed legislation for implementing these in rest areas, museums, libraries, and government owned facilities. And these changes would allow individuals to be able to attend events with confidence and dignity, and they wouldn't have that added anxiety of not knowing if a certain location would be accessible or have the accommodations needed to keep their family members safe, secure, and also sanitary. 
And I'll add to that. So according to the American Psychological Association, the ADA has significantly approved life for one, our one in four Americans who have a disability. However, equal, equality is still out of reach for people of color with disabilities and those who are living below the poverty line. As Susie mentioned, these are the people who continue to have access issues when it comes to accessible transportation, you know, being able to take their child with a wheelchair, you know, to into the community, um, and then also the medical care that they need. Another particularly vulnerable group is those who are transitioning to adulthood. And when school-based accommodations and services end, there seems to be a lack of resources or knowledge about resources um, to support advanced education and vocational skills for this group. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that 19.3% of people with disabilities are employed compared to 66% of individuals who don't report a disability. And in our program, we pay close attention to that really vulnerable population of clients as they move from pediatric to adult health care and try and wrap them in support, getting connected to those resources and that will continue to support them in the next chapter. That's good. And it's a beautiful thing that, uh, that has been provided. And just unfortunate that that struggle is there. I know earlier you mentioned about um, uh, states. Is California one of those states that is being progressive in, in allowing those legislations um, by any chance? Or? Yes, California is. They actually have already passed uh, the California Health and Safety Code. Um, however, it's going to take time for these changes. A lot of the um, changes aren't required until 2025. And then also right now, they're really for the larger buildings. And um, the next question I would like to ask the both of you is, uh, how can we promote intersectionality and recognize the unique challenges faced by children with disabilities who belong to marginalized communities? Uh, that's something that we deal with a lot within our medical therapy program. So in Riverside County, um, we cover an area of 7,300 square miles. And so we provide services to children from uh, Corona all the way to the Arizona border at Blythe. And uh, many times the specialized medical care for a child can be over 150 miles away. So um, some of our vulnerable populations is we have children that uh, reside in Blythe and the closest, the closest um, medical facility for them would be Loma Linda, which is 166 miles each way and could take over two and a half hours each way. Also uh, families that would reside in Indio, some of the most specialized care would be in Los Angeles, which is 130 miles away. So again, and we all know what LA traffic is like, it would definitely take over two and a half hours. And those are just one way. Um, part of the concerns might be that many families don't have reliable transportation. And fortunately, insurances like IEHP and Molina have started to provide transportation assistance. And, but some of this was just as recent as IEHP providing coverage for the Blythe area in January of 2023. But even if a family does have reliable transportation, um, there are a lot of other needs that they might need to consider. Uh, the parents might need to miss work. And so that could be lost income, also, that many times it takes multiple parents to take a child to an appointment because children have special needs and they might need to be suctioned or they might be prone to seizures. And so they wouldn't be able to be, uh, be transported with just one parent because another parent would need to be there to be able to be responsive to the child's needs. And another thing could be that many of the appointments would take upwards of seven hours. So if it's five hours, 
round trip just to travel to the appointment and then an hour or two hours at a medical appointment, they may have siblings at home. And so who would be able to be there to take that child to school or to pick them up? Also just the additional cost for travel, for being able, you need to eat out. And then one of the um, big needs for our families is the children that have special health care needs, they need to make sure that they have a time and a place to provide medical care. So the children might have to have tube feedings, they might need to be receiving medications or pulmonary treatments, or they need to change their diapers. And if you're gone for seven hours or eight hours, they need to plan all of that. And they need to make sure that they have a place to be able to provide these treatments and it can then add additional time to, to their day. And according to the California Healthy Places Index, many of the rural areas within Riverside County are considered the less healthy communities already. And so it makes it even harder for the families to access medical care. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thank you for bringing that up because you think about um, it's not only just a child life that is affected, but also just the entire family and the, and the sacrifices that had to be made. It's definitely something that's not um, not easy at all. And I guess the next question I would like to ask would be, uh, are there any specific policies or legislative changes that you believe are necessary to improve the lives of children with disabilities? Yeah, so there are a couple of things that are particularly impactful for our clients and their families and the way they're able to access the care that they need. Um, something that you know you may not realize if you're not in this space is that just because someone has a health insurance plan through an HMO or PPO through their employer doesn't mean that they'll have access to the medical equipment that their child needs or supplies or medications. So that is not you know, the care that they need isn't accessible regardless of their insurance. Um, many of our families access Medi-Cal and Medicaid, right? But there are policies that make sure Medicaid is funding institutions, not necessarily home-based care, which is where our families and caregivers want their children to be. But to do that safely, they need to have access to um, that home care. So one of those things is a program that pays a parent to provide care because having a child with a disability can be a full-time job and it keeps parents from being able to enter the workforce. Um, so, but unfortunately those direct care workers or family caregivers are severely underpaid. Um, and so family caregivers are filling in the gaps but unable to work outside of the home. So it really creates a disparity and keeps a family in poverty. And then Social Security Income or SSI also has rules that make it hard for individuals with disabilities to save money and make their way out of poverty. Currently, SSI has an asset limit that hasn't been updated since 1989. And there's been a lot of talk about inflation just over the past few years. So when we think about, you know, over 30 years, SSI has had an asset limit of $2,000 for individuals. So if a family or an individual has over $2,000 in their bank account, you know, if they have property or, you know, a retirement plan, then they're cut out from a, this, you know, super important program to get monthly income. Um, so, you know, there's definitely work being done and still needs to be done to make sure that families who are wrapping their children in support and caring for them in the home have the financial means to do so and continue doing so. Um, and. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but the SSI level, isn't that also based off of like, isn't that like a national or is that? Yeah, SS yeah. SSI is a federal program. Yeah. And so it also does take into account that until a child's 18, they're under their family's plan. So if mom and dad have, you know, more than $2,000 in the bank, then they're not able to access the program. 
Yeah, and just to add on to that, since it's something that's like national, imagine how it is over here in California or other states that are, or cities that are just uh, very high cost cities. So, you know, just think about that as like, wow, 2000 is, is still nationally not enough, but over, especially in certain cities where it's a high cost city, that's definitely, it, like you were saying, the poverty, it really puts in a disparity there for sure. Absolutely. Wow. And then, um, in this case, like, how can we encourage more open and meaningful conversations about disabilities and create a culture that embraces diversity and as well as uh, disability pride in the education system as well as our communities? The first step is amplifying the voices of people with disabilities and making sure that our workplaces and our teams represent the communities that we serve. Um, at CCS, we're launching a new program called the Family Compass, where we are bringing children and youth with special health care needs and their families to the table to learn how we can support their needs in a more meaningful way. We're also trying to create opportunities from family for families to connect to one another and learn about some of the community resources and things like waivers and different programs that may benefit their family. And then also just inclusion in the school certainly helps to benefit not only children with the special health needs, but all children. At an early age, children can learn acceptance of other people and learn that each person has unique abilities. They learn at a young age that people with disabilities are part of our community and that everyone should have the opportunity to be involved. And then another area is also providing recreational activities in the community for people of different abilities. And one organization that realizes the importance of this is Ambox. And they believe in the fun and freedom of riding your own bike and that they believe everybody should have that opportunity to enjoy that. And so a lot of people who are unable to operate a traditional bicycle, they can have that same experience by being able to ride an adaptive bicycle. And despite it being considered recreational for adaptive bikes, they have a lot of therapeutic benefits. We love them as therapists. They can help increase strength. They can help increase the motor skills. But one of the biggest things that we notice with children being able to ride adaptive bikes is that it helps to increase their self-esteem and also their quality of life. It allows them to have fun with their siblings or their family or maybe the neighbors um, that they can participate with everybody else. But unfortunately, the cost of adaptive bikes can be upwards of over $1,000. And so they are not covered by insurances and most families would not be able to afford that. So. I volunteer with a local chapter of Ambux. We're called the SoCal Trikers. And then I work primarily out in the Coachella Valley through Variety Children's Charity. And we provide adaptive bikes to children within our community. And it's been a great opportunity and to be able to see a child ride their bike for the first time, there's nothing better than that. That's so beautiful. And that's like, uh, yeah, it must be a beautiful experience to kind of witness that and see that see that uh, every child could have that opportunity to, to ride a bike. That's great. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To learn more about California Children's Services and the resources they provide, please see the show notes. As always, please follow us wherever you're listening and leave us a review. We appreciate the support. Bye.